Welcome to Interruptions Podcast, where we have heartfelt and sacred discussions about our culture, faith traditions, and community. We invite guests who are open and willing to share their journey and disrupt the silence on their personal and professional interruptions that have impacted their lives as it relates to emotional wellness. My co-host Kathy and I are passionate about every episode and are committed to providing actionable advice that you can apply today to reinvent yourselves and on your life journey and encourage you to develop a path towards healing. Welcome back to Interruptions. We are now in our second half of our series, the parking lot series, and we have a new guest for our second hour. We'd like to welcome to the room Jody Hill Lilly. And Jody Hill Lilly is the Deputy Commissioner for Connecticut Department of Children and Families. So for you all that are trying to figure out what that is, DCF. Okay. <laughs> so we are welcoming my friend, good Jody Hill Lilly, to the room. Hi, Jody. Hi, and thank you for that wonderful welcome. Appreciate it. I always feel like when people say DCF, I feel like we need to say the full name so people understand the full impact that that agency really has. Department of Children's <laughs> and Families. Because it is so much bigger than three letters. Yes, Absolutely. but most people don't know what it means. So That's when right. you say DCF, they, well, why didn't oh, you just yeah. say that? <laughs> but, you know, even though, Jody, thank you for being our guest for our show today, the second half of our show. But even though that is your title, that is your job, we are not going to spend much time talking about that today. No. No. So, Jody, um, we're not going to talk. Question I have for you. Tell us something about you that people don't know. So if we Googled you, we know we can find out your resume, your work history, you're on LinkedIn, you, you know, share some photos of your family on Facebook. But if we Googled you, tell us something that we don't know about Jody Hill Lilly. Hmm. Something you don't know. That's safe to share. <laughs> That's safe to share. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's see. Well, I sing. Odell, you know that. I don't know yes. that everybody knows that, but I, um, know that. I have <laughs> I have been uh, singing for most of my life in church. And when I was in college, I had a group called New Sounds and we went all over the place singing in Connecticut into other states. And uh, we were pretty we were pretty well known. And I married a, a minister of music. Um, I belong to Liberty Christian Center in Hartford, Connecticut, and still singing to this day. Oh, I didn't know that. Still singing, <laughs> yes. See, got you, Kathy. See? <laughs> yes. I met Jody when uh, we were at Barrack Amy Zion Church in New Haven. Okay. She used to live in New Haven. So we had joined the church. Her brother, Reverend Hill, her, Jeff Hill, was the associate pastor, youth pastor. And Jody and I clicked and had a, a, a great friendship. But I have to tell the Jody, I don't know if you remember this, but I have to tell this story. So when I joined the church, John was about six. So Jackie was eight. And, you know, we're socializing and John's at the church. He sees Jody and he gets older 
and he has a crush on her, right? But he's six. And it continued until he was, it, it just continued. Aww. So Jody gets married and she leaves New Haven. She goes to Hartford. She sends us an invitation to come to the reception in Hartford. And John and I go, and John is mad. The whole <laughs> ride up to Hartford, his arms are folded. He's like this. And I'm like, what are you mad about? She could have waited. Oh. And else, she, she could have waited. And I'm like, dude, you're 11. Like, really? So we get to the house, and we think it's her house, but it's her brother-in-law's house. And John is standing. He's about 11 years old. Okay. He's standing in the kitchen. He looks up at Jody and he says, you could have waited for me. Her husband is like five feet away. And I'm like, oh my God, we're going to get kicked out of the house. Oh man. And you were, you were kind. You looked down at him because that's how short he was. And you was like, oh, that's so sweet. And he was like, but you did good. You know, he's looking around at the house. So he approved. He approved. Okay. So okay. he's still walking around the house looking at, okay, she did good. Yeah, she did all right. And, and Jody said, John, go outside and enjoy yourself. He sat down on a bench, crossed his arm, and just was looking like she could have waited, Mom. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember that, but it was... I it, he was so mad. <laughs> yeah, he was a big personality and a lot of fun. And that was a special moment. That I, <laughs> I remember that. So that was coming back, right? That's cute. To, just, to, to be so bold, yeah. be so bold and say, you could have waited for I love me. It. I listen, I love it. I love wow. It. Yeah. Well, we miss him. We, we really miss him and value and cherish those moments. Yeah. When we have all those memories. So <laughs> thanks for bringing that back to me. <laughs> That's cute. So, Odell, I know you said that we're not going to talk about um, Jody's position at her job. I do okay. just want to give recognition to her for that. It is not an easy agency to work for, and it never has been. And and especially since the pandemic, their cases have just imploded um, in just different types of situations. I don't think anyone would ever have imagined would have come to their attention. And so, you know, I want to give her kudos for for actually staying, um, first of all, and staying in that position. It is hard. I know because I'm a retired out of Department of Social Services, and I know whenever you work with people, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly, we know the challenges that both agencies are facing now. Um, and so, again, just kudos to her. And I'm glad that she actually took time to be with us today um, because really she should be taking a really long nap to get ready for work, <laughs> <laughs> to get ready for work. But I appreciate that. Well, I thank you for um, pausing to take a minute and to acknowledge the, you know, the work that we do. Um, over the years, we have worked really hard to change the reputation of the department, um, to be further upstream and to really try to um, only intervene in those families' lives who actually need it and we try to support as much as possible and you're right the acuity rate of the kids and families that we've seen is has uh, spiked uh, tremendously there are a lot of children and families out there hurting 
Um, and we are doing our best to be uh, supportive in nature as much as possible and keep, keep, keep kids home safely as much as possible. That's our, that's our aim. So over the years, we have really changed and we are working hard to change the reputation of the department. DCF has a negative connotation or historically has had a negative connotation and we're looking to really um, change that narrative um, and to be of support to the families um, and, and so that folks can understand the array of supportive services that we do have out there for our kids and our families. Jody, thank you. What does it mean? What does your title mean, Deputy Commissioner? What is it that you do? So uh, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that I've been at the department for 34 years. This is, I started in 1988. And so I started as a line social worker um, and uh, held various positions uh, in the social work chain of command. The overwhelming majority of my career was spent in the training division where I worked, climbed up the ladder in that division to become training director and from there, I was appointed as deputy commissioner. So um, deputy commissioner of administration, there are two deputies within the Department of Children and Families. One is over operations, which is um, those staff who touch families and kids directly. I'm on the administrative side, which means that I'm over um, fiscal services, I'm over um, um, all of the community service array that's out there. I'm over workforce development, which was, you know, kind of where I spent the majority of my time um, in that division and over um, multicultural affairs and I um, and the executive sponsor for our racial justice work. Um, so I do mostly the sort of administrative side supporting the operations. Okay. All right, thank you. I should it, say that I report directly to the commissioner who reports directly to the governor. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I have an amazing, uh, fearless leader in Vanessa Durante. She's uh, an incredible leader and has yes. done a tremendous job um, at leading that agency. And it's, a, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to work uh, for her and with her. You know, both of you all have mentioned the pandemic and you know what we, Kathy and I talk about our interruptions and our life. And we don't want to assume that the pandemic was your interruption. So what we'd like for you to do, Jody, if you could think about your interruption in your life that had you to pivot and to change and something that you did not expect. You know, we all, we, we, we talk about an earlier podcast that is women were taught to go to school, go to college, get a good job, get married, have children, you know, the picket fence 2.5 and the cat, the dogs and so forth and so on and have your friends, kids, you know, yes, idolize you, you know, <laughs> all that, all, all the great stuff. But those things in life interrupt. Our, our life because that's not what life is. Things happen that we did not expect in our planning. So can you think about something that has, that would, would be your interruption in life? Mm, sure. Um, I've, I think I've had a, a few of them, but uh, for the most part, my childhood was uh, pretty stable, not without, you know, uh, 
problems and challenges like most of us, um, but two-parent household did okay. Um, went to college, you know, um, in New Haven. That's how I ended up in New Haven. I was a, I'm a, a two-time graduate of Southern Connecticut, at Southern Connecticut State University. So I did that and I got married. I have a great husband um, and we got married in uh, Jamaica. We had a destination wedding. And um, when we were in Jamaica at the wedding, my mother fell. Mm -hmm. uh, this was April, 2002. And we're thinking she, she had gotten very thin and we we're just trying to figure out you know, what's going on with her. That was April, 2002. By August of 2002, uh, she had made arrangements to uh, be transported to the Cancer Treatment Centers of America in Chicago, where she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Um, so she had been sick for a while um, and she knew she was sick, but she didn't tell anybody she was sick. Um, she had been sort of taking care of herself and her wounds. She had breast cancer. Um, she presented as if she had a mastectomy and she didn't. Um, the cancer was visible to the eye. The tumor was visible to the eye. And um, I just couldn't believe that she had been suffering so long um, with cancer um, and uh, didn't say anything and didn't seek treatment. Um, she, uh, they got her back. Cancer Treatment Centers was amazing. It was an amazing um, intervention. They got her to the point where she was in remission. I started having children. She didn't want to go back to the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. She wanted to stay local so that she could be with me as I'm having my kids, I was her primary caregiver at the time, myself and my brother, Jeff. And um, the cancer came back and about, it was like five years later, she she passed away. So um, she we, we had her for five years, um, but she passed away. That was a major interruption because what was, you know, the, you know, the best time in my life, I just got married, I'm having kids. And I am dealing with my mom having a terminal illness, um, one um, to which she succumbed. So eventually. Jody, I have to ask, um, I, I remember I was working for your brother, helping to design his church's website when your mother passed. And um, my condolences then and now. And I saw how hard it was for him you mentioned that your mother was self-treating herself and didn't say anything. Did she ever say why? She was afraid. Um, I don't, you know, and I see this in, you know, in, in our community even now, um, you know, with the pandemic, you see people just really being, you know, distrustful of, of you know, doctors and hospitals. I think we had, uh, I think the death of my aunt, who was very young, I mean, I think she was in her 40s when she died. She had a breast cancer, it was a very aggressive form, and she watched her pass away. Okay. And I think that scared her. Um, and she didn't want to face the possibility of going through chemotherapy. So she thought, 
you know, she was treating herself. In fact, the people at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America said she did a, an incredible job keeping herself healthy. With she, because she started doing herbs and looking up things, and I mean, and she, uh, they were amazed at how healthy she was outside of this, outside of this cancer. Mm-hmm. So I think it was fear. Um, okay. I think it, I think it was just fear. And how did she find, how did you all end up in Chicago going to a cancer treatment center in Chicago? Well, my mom was a very um, prideful woman. She, um, she, she, she dressed every time you saw her, she was just amazingly dressed. She was uh, very poised, um, life of the party kind of a person. And I think that she just, she just wanted to find somewhere where she didn't have pity um, she didn't trust the people here. So she, you know, those co- those commercials come on TV and she was like, hey, I want to go there. And uh, she called and got herself admitted um, somehow. <laughs> somehow. Yeah. yeah. And what did you think of the, the center there? How did you find out that she had made this appointment and you said you were her caretaker? So did you go with her to Chicago? Well, she she told me, she said, I'm going to tell you, but I don't want you to tell anybody. You can't tell your brother. You can't tell your father. You can't tell anybody. I'm getting on the plane and I'm leaving today to go to to Chicago. Wow. I was like, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) Oh, no. I said, what? For what? What's wrong? You know? Um, And she was, I I said, okay. Um, Okay. I said, how do you know you have cancer? She goes, I know. I just know. Mm-hmm. I said, did you go to a doctor? She said, trust me, I just know. Mm-hmm. Um, now, mind you, I'm getting blindsided by all this. I had mm-hmm. no idea. And um, so I said, okay, I, 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 I can't not tell my brothers. I, I have to tell them. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to come. I booked a flight. And I came like the next day so that I could manage her care. I mean, I left my brand new husband at home and just, just, just went. Um, and I, uh, you know, do what I do. I uh, had to step up and figure out she was at stage four cancer. She was on her deathbed. Um, so Jody, you said that she presented as if she had a mastectomy. Who did she present that to? I mean, when you looked at her physical body, one would think she had surgery and she did. I mean, it was traumatic. I mean, she really did not take care of herself and the tumor was visible to the eye. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's how much she had kind of um, neglected herself. Mm -hmm. So it was very traumatic for me to see that, to know that she was so scared that she wouldn't go take care, go take care of it. Mm-hmm. So Jody, you, you, you mentioned your family. You said you, you know, two family household, um, your four brothers, you, you said four brothers? Four. One, four two, three, brothers. Four. And where, and are you the only girl? I am. And where are you in the mix? <laughs> I am in the middle, but I am in charge. Let's be clear. 
I think we all understand that. <laughs> We're all like two years apart. So, um, uh, so we're very close in age. Uh, so, uh, you know, so that worked out well because, uh, we relate to one another and, you know, I'm the only girl, but you know, Mm -hmm. I'm in charge. And mom's like, don't tell your brothers. What was it like for you growing up with four brothers? Oh, I don't, I, I mean, I didn't have to worry about much. I, you know, they're very, 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 very protective to this day. I mean, they're still, they're still like that to this day. Um, they were mean, but, you know, inside the house, but protective, you know, I got okay. called all kinds of names. I got tough that way. I think <laughs> I got really tough that way. Cause you had to be, I was with four brothers. They would take your food. They would call your names or punch up, they do all kinds of things. They wouldn't let nobody else touch me, but you know, it was free reign for them because I was a little tad bit on the spoiled side. So, (laughs) so, um, so four brothers and you're spoiled. Who spoiled you? Mom or dad? My father, for sure. My father, for sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And he died in 2020. My mother was only 65 when she died. So that was a major interruption and really pretty traumatic my dad my dad was 94 so he he lived a nice long full life and was ready to he was ready to go um he died of cancer as well um in 2020 during the pandemic Mm. so jody did your father know that your mother had cancer it was just a surprise to everyone he didn't know he didn't know either yeah wow that's a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. yeah that is a lot of pressure on you. And so you so you didn't have time to get used to it. Mom has already packed her bag. She's getting on the plane. And she it's just a matter of fact, she's calling you and say, hey, by the way, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, first of all, don't tell anybody. And you mm-hmm. said, yeah, no, I am telling everyone. And, you know, what does that look like? Because you already have your breath taken away from you. And so how, what did that plan look like to share that information with everyone? Well, you know what we do, um, I, you know, I, I went into this mold that I'm very familiar with. You just go into this mold where you do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And I was very, um, I was, I, I was on a mission. First I had to figure out what was going on. I had to talk to the doctors. I had to figure out what we were doing. And I remember the doctor said stage four cancer. They were like, if we don't treat her, she's she's gonna pass because we have to be aggressive in this treatment. And I am a, a true. I mean, I I mean, I, I would say I'm a spiritual person. I'm in church most time when the doors open, but I don't I don't like religion. I just don't all the time. Mm-hmm. When, when the rubber meets the road, I know who to go to. And I just remember very vividly praying and God telling me under no uncertain terms, says she's not going to die now. She's not going to die. So I, I got all my brothers together and, you know, and I said, listen, this is what we're going to do. And this is what we're not going to do. We're not going to talk about death. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about life because she's not going to die right now. So I need everybody on one accord. Okay. If you can't be on that accord, you can step aside. You can, you, you know, but right now we're going to speak life and they got with me and we just nursed her back 
to health. Yeah. Um, and she was in remission for a while um, before the cancer came back. So I think I just went into do what you got to do mode. Yeah. You know? yeah. Jody, what was the experience like for you in Chicago when you, your mom obviously gets there before you because she's already on a headed to Chicago and you're both from out of state. You're coming from Connecticut to Chicago. Mom has four stage cancer. What was the treatment, the rapport like for you at the Chicago Center? I had never seen, well, it was my first introduction to cancer, right? So I'm thinking this is normal, but I get off the plane and they send a limousine to come get me, number one, mm -hmm. all free of charge. I get there and there's a team of doctors. Now she's got stage four cancer, which means it spread to multiple parts of the body. And in one room, a team of doctors come to me and tell me, you know, um, very clearly what's going on, um, how it's impacting all of her or all of her other, you know, places in the body and what needed to happen. Um, they talked about treating the whole person, um, her mind, body and soul. So they had a spiritual component. They had a nutrition component. And then they, of course, had the the chemotherapy that they needed to administer to her. I would, they put you up in a hotel that's close to the hospital. I was there every day. I got to go and see her. I got to talk to the doctors every day. Um, it, it was as if I was in a, I don't, I, it didn't feel real because it just all happened so, so fast. Okay. But I felt like I was in a, you know, a crash course, <laughs> you know, and I had to catch up. Yeah. And I had to figure out what we were doing. And uh, I just had to bring God with me. I, I I don't even know how I got through that. I don't know. I don't know how I got through it. Uh, just did. And when did your mother decide to come back to Connecticut for care, the rest of her care? So they got her stabilized after about, uh, it was probably somewhere around six months or something like that. So I was going back and forth. Uh, to to the camp to Chicago back and forth. Oh my God, that was a nightmare. But um, then she went into remission. They got her stable enough. She would come home, and then she would go out every, you know, three or four months just for checkups periodically, just to make sure everything was okay. And at that's the time when I had gotten pregnant and with my first child and. She was like, okay, let's switch the care to Connecticut because I don't want you flying back and forth. You know, when I have to go out there, if something goes wrong or whatever, I just, let's switch the care over. So we switched to Connecticut and, ugh. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. I heard, oh, what happened? Well, not what good. What was the difference? Not good. Um, well, I learned how most people experience cancer treatment and you know um you know if so you have a you have someone who's treating um the, the oncologist who's responsible for treating the the cancer in general and then you have your your general practitioner those are your main people but like it started spreading again. And so it was it went to the bone. So then she would mm -hmm. have to see somebody for that. And then it spread to the lungs. And then she had to go see a, a, a pulmonologist for that, somebody who treated that. And the 
treatment was in different places with doctors that didn't talk to one another. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, I wasn't used to that. I, I was introduced to the cancer world through the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And I became very, very informed about her treatment. Like I just, I had a vocabulary that was, I learned later was hugely advanced. So I would go and ask questions, you know, to some of the doctors to say, you know, I'd say, you know, what's her levels like? And they were like, well, it's good now. And I'm so, I said, um, well, well, tell me what the levels are, because I know now how to interpret what the, le- I know the numbers and all that. Mm-hmm. And, um, one doctor got really uh, belligerent with me, quite frankly, and said, you know, you need to go plan your, your mom's funeral rather than oh. question my expertise. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, that's horrible. Yes. So, Jody, at the, at the beginning of your story, thank you for sharing all of this. And, yeah. and we know how difficult this has to be for you, but it is important to hear, for our audience to hear this information. Um, because at the beginning, you said that, that obviously cancer, we hear that word and we immediately get fearful. Um, but you said at the beginning, it was more than that for your mom. She was fearful of the doctors or the treatment here. Is that what you were sharing? Yeah. And, you know, the way they acted, I, I kind of get it now. But I will tell you that I, if if I learned anything out of that is that um, you just have to have early detection is just everything. She yes. had a very slow moving cancer in the very beginning. It didn't have to get that out of control. Um, and had she gone earlier, she probably would be here today. Mm-hmm. So uh, fear got the got the best of her. Um, and so you need a combination. You need a combination of somebody who is not only somebody you trust, but somebody who knows what they're doing um, and to, to, to really find the right um, doctor for what it is that you're you're dealing with and but the option should never be to not do anything mm-hmm. I guess that's the that's that's the lesson in all of this so Jody thank you um in case our listeners are have this perception of you because of your job title and can hear that you're educated you know two degrees from southern and are classifying you in the upper rich class classification. (laughs) And they're saying, well, that's why she can afford to go to Chicago. Mm. Um, Talk to us a little bit about what that experience was. So we don't want people to think that you're, and you could be rich (laughs) and hey, can afford Chicago. What would you say to our audience who has this perception of you um, based on listening to you and hearing parts of your story and going back and forth to Chicago? So first of all, my mom could not afford to go there. I don't, you know, a a large part of what they do there is through donated services. um, And so they take on situations like my mother's. Um, and cause she didn't have the money nor the insurance to, to pay that outright. Um, mm-hmm. when I tell you that was the grace of God, that was the grace of God mm-hmm. that she, that she was able to secure that kind of support. Um, and so no, and I didn't, 
my mother, my mother and father were not rich by any stretch of the imagination. I, we were, we grew up very poor. I didn't realize how poor I was growing up um, because my dad managed to get us, uh, you know, off, you know, Westland Street in Hartford at the time and bring us to Windsor, which is a middle class neighborhood. But we were the poor folks in Windsor. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes we had food, sometimes we didn't, sometimes we had lights. and heat and sometimes we didn't you know so I didn't grow up rich at all at all and my parents were not rich they were you know ones that had made it out of the neighborhood but still struggling like I said I think I didn't realize government cheese was government cheese (laughs) until I started working at BCF Oh yes, that block that was some good cheese. <laughs> was some good that cheese. was some good cheese. <laughs> the cheese we get in the store. Yeah. In Boston, it was government cheese. Egg cheese, your cheese toast, the cheese, you do all kinds that's of stuff. Right. That's right. That's right. We made great macaroni and cheese. That was the when you actually had to grade it. Now yes. you buy it off. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was that was that was some some definitely some good cheese back then. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, you grow up with four brothers. Mm. You're the only girl. Mm-hmm. House of five, mom and dad. You get married mm. and your husband. You do you now have sister-in-laws? I do. So um so this is this is interesting so my brother howard is my brother is howard cahill the howard cahill it's my brother and he's married to nancy hill who is my sister and she's my sister not my sister-in-law my sister okay and so we're, we're we're close um and then my oldest brother fayon he lives in glastonbury he's married to kim and she's my sister she's not my sister-in-law she's my sister um, the other two, um, and my youngest brother, I just got married. He's, she's ma- he's married to Rachel and she's brand new, but she's my sister, you know? Okay. So, um, uh, Jeff is not married. Um, then I married Sean Lily. Now I told you I have four brothers, right? I marry Sean Lily who has three brothers. <laughs> so oh I have been surrounded by men like all my life like all my life and even new sounds when i sang with new sounds they were all men in me that's That's right you were the only female only female i was the only female so i have these girls i first baby i have is a girl and they start growing up and whining and coming and stuff (laughs) And I looked at my husband, I said, what am I, sw- I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> he was like, well, you think I do? I don't have any sisters. I was like, well, I don't, he was like, but you're a girl. I said, but I grew up with all boys. I don't know what to do with this. And like hair and everything, right? I know. Hair. And I was like, oh my God. Oh That's Lord. Funny. So Jody, um, how many children do you have and how many girls do you have? We have three girls, so I have a bonus daughter. My husband had a daughter when we got married. She came into my life when she was four. Okay. I've pretty much been in her life. I'm Mommy J to her. And then I have two additional girls. I have an 18-year-old and a 17-year-old, Victoria and Alexia. That is so funny. Girls. 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 And I still wake up and say, whew. 
goodness. <laughs> and they're great girls. They're good girls. They're but not that. It's just they're emotional. And I'm. Yeah. <laughs> And you never were. Right? I never was. <laughs> Not that I don't have emotions, but like the things they get emotional over. Just... <laughs> that is so funny. That yeah, that's that's funny. Jody, I'm sorry. In, in raising your 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 children, when did you realize in being married? When did you realize that you had become your mother? Oh God, she, I started saying things she would say. Mm-hmm. Like, they start hanging out the wrong people and I say, birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> I have heard that in so long. Yeah, that is funny. That is true. Don't you go out there acting uncouth. That's you know, right. oh, your mother said uncouth too? Uncouth. Yeah. That was uncouth. my mother's word. The uncouth. That's Don't uncouth. That is so funny. You started- and it was like, what? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You start sounding like them. You start acting. I'm like, oh my goodness. And you represent this household, so you better act right when you go That's out of right. here. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You call the embarrassing me. <laughs> yes. My mother was a chef and was in New York. And I grew up in Boston with my with my relatives. And she would make sure that I knew how to eat before we went out. Mm-hmm. And if we went out to eat in public... And we used the wrong fork or had our elbows on the table. She would kick us mm-hmm. underneath the table. Mm-hmm. Many times we would leave limping, you know, <laughs> and folks were like, what happened? You'd be like, eh, eh, and we didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Don't say nothing. And she was like, you will not be uncouth with me. And That's we were right. and we're looking like each other like, what is uncouth? <laughs> what is she What's talking that? about? What is that? Yeah. And I used it on Jack. You will not be uncouth. You will know how to do this. And she would look at me. I'm like, don't ask. You know, <laughs> don't ask. But you will not be uncouth. Yeah. yeah. Again, I thank you. This is this is so much fun. Um, but I, you know, I know the story is hard for you, and I thank you for sharing yeah. that story. Um, and so medicine certainly has advanced now, and still we have fear in our community of going to the doctor and, and taking the appropriate test. And I, obviously we are so much more educated now, but I know that myself, uh, one of my good friends was is a breast cancer survivor and only because she said something that I say, okay, I need to get it on the ball and actually go get my mammogram because I it wasn't a test that I made sure that I was on time to get when I was supposed to get it. I just didn't. Um, I think it was a, I use the excuse, I'm a mom, I'm working, I'm busy, and I don't have time. I don't have time to go get the test. And then ultimately, based on her journey, um, I did, and I said, okay, get it together and go get this test. And so, um, and it is a frightening test, and I knew something was going wrong uh, when they uh, went from the actual mammogram and then started to do an ultrasound. And you're, you are fearful and no one's talking to you, telling you why they're doing this. But, you know, just to say, well, we really couldn't read it on the mammogram. So we want to get an ultrasound on. And then ultimately I did get a positive result when they called. And it was it was almost, um, I, a, I wasn't prepared for it, but it was almost a relief just to hear and say, okay, I, I know it now. I have to have to deal with it. 
Um, and I have been blessed that I was a breast cancer survivor, but it is that initial fear. And then also it does, it's an interruption to not only your life, but your family's life. And now you have to go and you get multiple other tests as a result of that. And, you know, I, I when they were planning on uh, going in and doing the initial surgery, you know, I had a vacation plan. And that's the attitude I went in to the surgeon and said, okay, yeah, I know this has to be gone, but I got a vacation plan. And I can see out the corner of my eye, my husband's looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, I don't care because I didn't look at him because I was like, I got a vacation plan. I got to go on my vacation. And so you you kind of just you go into this zone like, OK, God, you have jokes because I just don't have time for this right now. This is interrupting my life. But ultimately, um, ultimately for me, I, I did survive the breast cancer. And so I'm very grateful for that. But it is fearful to go in and get those tests. And we know they're necessary, but you almost need counseling before going to the test to learn how to breathe and to learn how to, you know, know the right questions to ask. And we did not do enough of that, sharing that in our community. And, and since then, I, you know, I think what we can continue to do is just to encourage people on the importance of it and taking someone with you because, you know, uh, when they called me, I heard half of what they said to me, to be honest mm. with you. Um, and, and so you have to know what they're telling you mm -hmm. so you can share that information. Like you said, you, you became more educated mm -hmm. in more terms than actually were shared with you. And so, um, I know that there's after tests Did you also have to take the BRCA test. Did you, did you volunteer to do that? Or did you, how did you feel about that? Well, first off, thank God for the blessing of you um, being a, a breast cancer survivor, and absolutely, you know, uh, God walks with you, and and he, and he just gives you that strength to do what you need to do. And you know, um, denial can be a healthy thing. You know, <laughs> if you don't need to see all of that, just go do what you got to do at the time. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, thank God for that praise report. Uh, continued blessings on your life um, and your body. Um, you. I, uh, I did. I went. I took the BRCA test because I did have a, a cousin. I, I mentioned an aunt who died of cancer, breast cancer, that, that made my mother fearful. Well, it's her daughter who also got breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I need to go get this BRCA testing. And so I'm cleared so far. I'm, I'm, I came back negative. So um I, I hear there's another one that I probably need to look into as well. Um, so I'll, 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 I'm not, I'm not a, afraid to do that. I feel like it's really important to be as proactive as possible. Um, so, but it is scary. And I will tell you, you're absolutely right. I'll just double down on what you're saying. Um, if you are sick, what we tend to do, and I'm guilty of it as well, we just go handle our business and even um, Odell, I'm thinking about your story that, you know, you just go and you just, you go inward. You may have yes. a whole lot of people around you, but mm -hmm. we don't talk about it, but you no. need a partner, somebody who will journey with you um, through it, particularly when you're going in, you know, for doctors there, cause you don't hear anything. You just, my mother didn't have any, and I did it again with my dad, um, Howard K. Hill and I really, were the caregivers for my dad when he passed away we knew everything we knew we knew everything 
we had to we had to know what was happening. We saved his life by knowing things yeah. because the doctors don't always have it right all the time. Mm. Uh, they just don't. So you have to pay attention and help them to understand, you know, what's going on because the patient can't always translate um, as effectively. So I became my mother's in, interpreter um, for her and, and was very much in that journey. I mean, there was no call without me being there. Mm -hmm. So bring somebody, having somebody with you um, to help you understand what's going on and don't go inward, um, you know, just because what happens is you just, you just, you just isolate. I, I think that's just what, what we do because we usually can handle things. And when we can't, we just, we go inward. That's exactly what we do. We try. And that's exactly what I did. Um, but I have a question for you before I make a statement. Jody, did you learn that cancer is hereditary? Is it hereditary when you have you learned that? I have. I, I guess there. What I'm learning is that there are different types, um, mm -hmm. and they're they're obviously. I guess I'm assuming from the genetic testing, and I, you know, there's a you can have a predisposition to cancer, which is why they have the testing to okay. to figure out if there's some genetic component to it. Um, so I don't know that they know if all of it is. <laughs> Um, but um, certainly there are some that they are clear are you in which we have a we have a genetic predisposition to it. So okay. um, you have to go see if you're in that category because you can be proactive and insurance will cover your being, you know, proactive um, and preventative where, where that's concerned. And I've known a lot of people to have done that as well. Thank you. That, I hope our, our listeners list, hear you mm -hmm. being proactive and talking about it. Because after um, my interruption with John, I knew my body felt different, but I didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to, I didn't have the terminology to explain it. I knew I felt different, but I didn't know how different. I knew the weight of what I was carrying changed my behavior, my attitude, my outlook and started self-met drinking more and just became angry. And it was a whole year that I kept it to myself, didn't say anything until I had the brain aneurysm. And even when I had it, getting ready to get in the car to go to work, you know, my headache went from zero to 10 in seconds. Eyes were blurry, you know, got sick, passed out in the, in the grass. And I still go inside and don't say anything because I'm going to take care of myself. I know I must be, you know, asthmatic or allergies or something. And it's a whole 24 hours before I go to a hospital and realize that I'm bleeding in my head. And, mm -hmm. you know, like the doctors, even when I went to the hospital and my doctor sent me to the hospital with notes to the EMTs to tell the, the, the ER, this is what's going on. I got reported that I was just a black woman with a headache. Mm. And when I was at one unit, they kept me there for five hours and realized, oh, your doctor was right. Um, and then we have to send you to another unit because we don't have the care to take care of you here. And the doctor said the same thing, you know, stop praying for her, but plan her funeral. And then told Jackie and everybody, you know, well, if she survives, 
then people tend to die three days after it. So we still got a three-day window. Um, so don't have hope to start planning her funeral. And then I'm here three days later. Well, let's she's still in ICU. And then, you know, it was then for me, I realized that my son was dead and I was alive and I wanted to live. Mm-hmm. And I had to quote that over, chant it over and over. And like you say, spiritual, and I could just feel this angel looming. It's like, if you came down for anything, take this pain because I can't carry the pain and fight for my life. So I want to live. So I I went from arguing with God to bargaining for my life. And five years, four years later, I'm here. And I'm grateful. And you're right. I should have said something earlier, but I did not know that brain aneurysms were hereditary. I didn't know that. And we don't talk about our health with our children. We don't. don't. Yeah, there's so many secrets, dare I say, in our community. Um, And, you know, compensation. I mean, I think we're just in survival mode a lot. But I think hearing my story and your stories, I mean, if it's anything, we just have to learn to do something different and break that cycle. Um, yes. and create avenues um, for us to talk to our kids in a different way that we were communicated with. Um, yes. And then, you know, nothing like a good girlfriend too. Um, <laughs> somebody that you can really, really, really trust and just just get it out, even, mm-hmm. you know, um, because we carry, we carry so much. And my mother, she didn't tell a soul. She didn't tell a soul. She didn't tell anybody. And I think sometimes it's not real until we say it out loud, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so that probably was the fear and we do have to get away from that. And so this is why these type of conversations are so important and we have to spread it in our community. And it's a perfect time now. We do, uh, we talk about breast cancer in October and yes. and there's breast cancer walks and events and, and those are marvelous, t- marvelous things because it does bring attention to it. But we need to talk about it all the time, all year long. We do. Because if we wait until October to... Uh, try and get a mammogram where well, you're not, you know, it's going to be rare that you can get it in October if you're waiting to, to October, October, right? That is true. <laughs> so you're months later and by months later, then we find another excuse to say, oh, I can't make that appointment. And so we need to, we need to continually talk about this and share our stories of, of health period in our communities. And so Jody, again, thank you so much for yes. sharing your story. And I want to flip a little bit now. One of the, one of the fun things, because, you know, I know, Odell is a minister, but she's also my friend, so I can ask her anything that I want. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think we were just hanging out at my house one time and I asked her, I said, what do you do? Like, if you want to go out one night and you just want to hang out, you want to relax and just be Odell. And then all of a sudden someone comes up to you and kind of they're in conversation with you when you recognize this conversation is changing over from someone speaking to Odell to someone to speaking to Minister Odell. And so, you know, 
how do you switch that really quickly? And so I have the same question for you. You are a deputy commissioner over this massive agency and you want to go out and you, sometimes you just want to be with your family. Sometimes, like you said, your girlfriends and, and, and your sister-in-laws who are really your sisters and you just want to relax, but you're just out somewhere and all of a sudden, either one of your million of employees might come up to you and introduce themselves to you or someone is coming up to you and kind of wants to speak to deputy commissioner Jody. And so how do you handle that type of situation? Well, thank you for the question. Um, in case I don't get a chance to mention this, I, I mentioned my sister-in-laws on my my brothers, my brother's wives, but I also am blessed to have sister-in-laws and my on my husband's side as well. So I don't want anybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like sisters and we yeah. really, really are. It's like blurred lines. So nothing like family. And, and I am so blessed to have a family that's so close that um, we can be there for each other. So I just wanted to, to kind of get that out there because they mean so much to me. And I really wouldn't want them to listen to this podcast and not say anything. Say, Jody, you didn't talk wonderful us. <laughs> My Lily family is. They are just, uh, we're and we're one happy family. We all kind of vacation together and all that kind of stuff. That's wonderful. Um, so it's a wonderful, really, I mean, because sometimes families don't talk to each other. And I just, you know, that's just a whole nother conversation for another mm -hmm. time. But what would I do if somebody asked me that question? You know, I, I've, I've wrestled with this for a long time because, um, you know, some people say, you know, you're when you're at work, you're at work. And when you're at home, you're at home. Um, but what I know about who I am as a person and a professional is that who I am is very much a part of who I am in that role. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I don't feel like I should shut that off because it's not between the hours of eight and five. I am who I am. I do what I do because I'm called to do this work. Mm -hmm. And if somebody needs to ask me a question and it's nine o'clock at night, two o'clock in the morning or during the workday, I should be prepared to fulfill that mission that God has put in me um, to help people in this way. So I don't there's blurred lines all over the place. And I feel very strongly that you're, like I said, you're called to this work. Um, and when you're called to do something, there's no off button. Um, so there's no code switching. I am who I am. When you see me at work, I'm talking to you just like I'm talking to you right now. Um, no code switching. I used to threaten the kids all the time, mess around. I said, I'm calling Jody. She can come pick you up. <laughs> I said, she will come. I said, my job is I'm supposed to feed you. Take care of you. I said, you didn't have, you don't have to have your own room. <laughs> if you don't do, I'm gonna call DCF. Don't worry about it. I got the speed dial number right here. I will save you time. I will call her and come get you. And I'll be like, hello, go listen to your mama. <laughs> I used to threaten them all the time. I said, I don't care, call. I'm called DCF on you. I, I'll call DCF. <laughs> Tell them to come get you. That is funny. That's funny. Oh, so Jody, uh, we want, we're going to start to wrap up, but just a quick question for you. you. You have a lot on your plate. And so how do you practice self-care of Jody? And before you answer that, I, I, I want you to, you know, because there's 
different parts of, yes. of Jody, as you mentioned. And I, I want to make sure that we talk about all of you. Um, we know that you're a member of the Lynx. I am. I and am. you're a Jack and Jill. I am. I and am. Chum, which I found, I don't know what Chum is. <laughs> it's another, it's another, you know, organization just trying to give back to the community through friendship. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. And what I also found on social media, you are in a fellowship program. Can you give us a little bit information about that before you tell us how do you then take care of yourself? Oh, well, I am very uh, blessed to have been um, selected as a Casey fellow. Um, the Casey is a philanthropic agency that works um, on a national level to improve outcomes for kids and families. So they work with child welfare systems across the United States. And um, they have a fellowship program, a two-year competitive fellowship program, where you, uh, if selected, you um, get to work with fellows around the country, not only in child welfare, not child, not only in child protective services, but in child welfare. So any system that touches a child. So we have a superintendent there. We have um, mm -hmm. people from um, not private nonprofits. We've got um, other philanthropic agencies, people who are CEOs of you know philanthropic agencies, those kinds of things. Um, and I was I'm actually the only person in a child protective service agency there out of the 15 fellows. And so as a fellow, I just came back from California. Um, they fly you into different locations and they teach you, train you and help you engage in activities to improve your systems within your role. So um, it was a hugely competitive uh, program, <laughs> very, very rigorous interview process and, um, yeah, it was 15 out of like over 200 people who applied across the nation. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, so I'm on that journey now um, and really, really excited um, about that opportunity. Well, congratulations. Now, with all of that, how do you how do you take care of Jody? What do you do for self-care? Uh, well, I take time. Um, well, definitely church is, you know, kind of, uh, fills me up. I spend time with friends. I try to, um, I haven't been doing as much and need to get back into it, but I, I really love to just walk, do exercising. I, when I was in California, we did really nice trails and stuff. So those kinds of things, but I, I, I'm just learning the importance of self-care, taking That's the time. Fine. Um, trying to embrace it differently. Well, and that's great. That's important. That's what we want to hear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Jody, what Odell and I try to uh, share is that life interruptions can sometimes be traumatic or just an interruption of our lives that can either be temporary or permanent based on our perspective of life. We'll continue to discuss the impact of trauma and how a moment in time can actually alter our journey. So thank you for sharing this story of your mom. 
uh, we appreciate how you shared how it impacted you and your family and even her. And, we, and that's important and we'll continue to have these conversations in our community. Our podcast always is for anyone who needs to hear our message. And so to our audience, please like and subscribe to our podcast and also more importantly, share it with someone you think needs to hear our message. Yes. And Odell, do you have anything you'd like to share? Um, yes, I. in case I did not tell you, after I had my brain aneurysm, the doctors, you know, didn't provide any support for me. And I realized someone had to tell me that I wasn't speaking properly and could not read my text messages. And when I went to Southern for support, they had a they have a, a communication disorder department for brain injuries. Um, I was assessed that the the damage that was done after the brain after the brain and injury that I would only have an eighth grade reading level and that would be it. And I told your brother, Howard Cahill, and Howard said, don't believe that. He says, you can restore your brain cells. You just have to learn how to learn differently. He says, you can do that. And I said, no one told me how to do that. And he said, you can do that. And I heard him and because he told me that, I took on the initiative of learning how to learn again and to use audio and to listen to people talk and to just do different things to exercise my brain. And this month I'm noticing new vocabulary. It's new for the last four years, but it's not new for my education and I'm starting to speak differently and I'm listening to myself. I hear the podcast and I go back and I can say, oh, that sounds better. Or I can still see where I'm having issues, but I know I'm not at an eighth grade reading level. <laughs> so your brother told me that I could do that. And I thank him. And I thank your mom and dad for raising wonderful people like you all. So thank you for being a part of my life and being on my journey and being a friend. And the thank you, I could say the same thing to you. I, uh, you know, my brother, uh, my brother is a, a very special human being. Um, and I'm not at all surprised that he would pour into your life to, to give you that, you know, paradigm shifting um, sort of advice. So um, I appreciate you ladies uh, for doing what you're doing. Please keep Thank it you. up. This is uh, a wonderful <laughs> opportunity um, just to go deep into our community and into our mindset so that we can learn how to help each other get through traumatic, traumatic uh, events in our lives. So I want to uh, share my deep appreciation for all that you all are doing. Thank you. Thank you. And I owe you a book. I had one here for you, but I will make sure that I get it to you. Appreciate that. All right. Thank you. And again, click on like, subscribe. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Like us, subscribe to us. And thank you and good night. <laughs>